0: Hello, this is Jenny Bell from Clarington, Ohio, and I'm listening to Barbecue Central.
1: Start the game! Let's go!
0: We'll do it live. Okay. Do it live! I'll write it and we'll do it live!
2: So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood.
0: Are you sure it's safe? Whatever.
3: We put the lighter fluid on,
2: strike the match, and... Should
3: we call the fire
2: department? That might be a good idea.
3: to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. It's a show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling, originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. I'm your program host, Greg Rampey, happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening. If you want to jump in on the show tonight, more than happy to have you with a phone call 216-220-0966. In lieu of the phone call, you can also shoot me an email.
0: You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at Show.com. or on the Twitter and Instagrams at bbqcentralshow.
3: Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, the Show.com. And here's what's happening in case you didn't get the newsletter. If I haven't told you yet, happy news everybody we are headlong into 2019 so it has to be said right here right now five minutes into the show 2019 rapidly coming to a close <laughs> you've been waiting for me to say it so i want to get it right out of the way but you will be surprised that when i bring it up again and again how quickly you realize that indeed 2019 is rapidly coming to a close. Nevertheless, if you want to know what's happening on the show, it's a look back at what we feel. And when I say we, I mean myself mostly. But then I also get input from the inner circle of the Barbecue Central show on segments and guests and bits and rants that we thought stood over and above The rest of 2018. Now, it goes without saying that 2018, in a lot of respects, was a record year for the show. Record number of downloads, record number of views, record number of listens, lots of records being broken as it relates to the show. And we did it through a number of different struggles. And I always hate to bring you guys into the weeds, especially when it comes to podcast technical weeds. But twice this year, and if you're not familiar with how podcasting works, it's all about the downloads. Like on social media, you want to get the thumb or the like, or you want to get the heart on Instagram. You want to get the retweet on Twitter with podcasting. It's all about getting the download. And for years, I mean, how long have I done this show? 12 years, 13 years, something along those lines. It's always been about getting the download, but there has never been a singular way to quantify or nor has there been any regulation on how to quantify what a download should consist of. Is it just putting it up on your server? Is it somebody downloading it through your XML file? And maybe if they never even listen to it, does that count as a download or do you have to listen for eight seconds or 30 seconds or three minutes? The beginning of the year, there was one version of a standardization of what a download is. And then literally a few months ago, there was a brand new, all will be following this way of measuring what downloads is. And I'm definitely not going to get into the weeds on that. But as a whole, the podcast industry took a hit on number of downloads. For the folks that were really through the stratosphere, those numbers tumbled pretty well. I safeguarded for a lot of this time because I was hosting all of my own files on my own server, so I didn't have to succumb to a lot of this. However, trying to keep within the practice and keeping it legit and above board, as the show always loves to remain, I did transfer over to a company called Blueberry, my media hosting, and then a month later... This brand new set of regulations on what a download consists of took place. And there was a little bit of a hit, but nothing too traumatic. I thought it was going to be a lot worse. But luckily, you guys continue to like the show and continue to tell people about the show. And that continues to get downloads organically, which is really most important. People finding the show, word of mouth, positive referrals. And actually, what I found that in the past, some of my biggest growers have been people that absolutely hate the show. They can't stop talking about how much they hate it. It's kind of like the Howard Stern syndrome. His most ardent fans listened less than the people who hated him the most. They listened three times longer than the folks that were his quote-unquote normal type fans. Same can probably go for the Barbecue Central show. If you really hate me, if you think I use too many sound effects or that my rants are unfounded or ridiculous or have no entertainment value. You're typically the person that also tells three or four or five of your friends at work at what a bag I am and how could I possibly be downloaded or as popular as I am. So I have to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. So we have seen a lot of growth. We've hit a lot of records. We've overcome some obstacles in 2018. We have 99% of show sponsors back on board for 2019 So I thought it would be worthwhile to go back and reintroduce you to some of the best moments of 2018. Been working fervently over the last couple of weeks to kind of get this stuff together. Some will be longer than others. Some will be almost as long as normal interview segments, but they were that good. There wasn't a lot of fat for me to trim out, per se. So bear with some of the shortness, bear with some of the longness. But all in all, I think you're going to find this a very enjoyable look back on 2018. And if you think I missed something, please feel free to hit me up on any of the social media channels at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, at BBQ Central Show on Twitter. Send me an email, greg at com, or hit me on facebook.com slash BBQ Central Show and let me know what your favorite moment or guest or rant or whatever topic of 2018 was. So here's how the first hour is going to set up. This will be a little bit more of the shorter chunks. Then we'll move into the second hour, and we will have segment cuts from the Michael Simon interview that I did, the Aaron Franklin interview that was earlier in the year, Lafrida's last appearance, which was epic. Sam the Cooking Guy will make an appearance in the second hour We also have Adrian Miller coming up in this next two-hour stint. Linda Orson of The Shed. We have some hot dog rants. We have some Hall of Fame talk. And we have a rant where I tell people to stop documenting mostly the youth of America. We tell them to uh, stop documenting everything that's going on in their life, for crying out loud. You'll hear that. You'll hear all that. And my intros and outros of all those segments. So. What do you say we get going? Yeah, let's do this thing. I want to quickly talk to you about Green Mountain Grills, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. Three different models to choose from. If you want something on the patio bigger, the biggest, of course, the Jim Bowie. You also have the Daniel Boone, which is a little bit smaller than the Jim Bowie. Benefit of having one or the other or both. You can rip the guts out of those cookers and drop in the pizza oven insert if you're into doing that high-heat pizza thing. All wood pellet-fired, of course. Now, if you're into a little bit more of a take-it-with-you type of pellet-fired cooker, then the Daniel Boone is... No, the Davy Crockett is the one that you're going to want to take with you. Again, pellet-fired. It's got pretty decent capacity. I think you can get at least two pork butts on there, so that's going to feed what... 30 40 50 people depending on how you eat you can also gather rubs and sauces and other accessories at greenmountaingrills.com if you don't have access to a traditional power outlet for that davy crockett version no matter you can hook it up to the 12 volt outlet and you're ready to rock and roll it's really one of the best pellet cooker manufacturers out there on the market today reputable working through that dealer relationship. So if you want to go somewhere and buy a pellet cooker, the dealer that you go to properly trained. So they can make sure they will answer all your questions and make sure that you're confident that when you get it home, you will be able to use it and have success right out of the box. How great is that? Support locally, plus a name that is tops in the industry, Jason Baker and the gang continuing to knock it out of the park. And we hope to have some really big announcements from Jason and the gang. First part of this year, trying to line them up as we speak. Once again, the website GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. They also have a very active Facebook club as well. So look them up on Facebook if you're there. Ask to join and you can cavort with all the other Green Mountain Grill fans that are there not only in the country but across the globe. All right. We start our look back of 2018 right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show.
0: live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe.
3: All right, welcome back to the look back of 2018. This portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher's Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, grilling oils all the butcher barbecue products have been tested on the competition circuit as well as in the backyard worldwide be the pit master of your neighborhood and visit butcher to stock up now and we say it each and every week here on the barbecue central show always trust your butcher no better products out there on the market right now so all the way back in march of 2018 We took the show on the road. That's right. After years and years and almost decades of saying, hey, when are you going to take the show out on the road? And I'm going to tell you, I've been very reluctant to take the show on the road because inevitably I'm forced to rely on Wi-Fi. And if you're any fan of this show or you've been around for any time, You know that me and the non-reliability of Wi-Fi have had a tremendous impasse, and my worry is that if I'm going to take this show on the road, I want it to sound as much as it sounds right now in studio, and for the longest time, I've never been able to figure out a way to make that happen. Not only that, but be able to have some type of a reliable internet connection that isn't running miles and miles of Internet pipe somewhere where I'm set up because the longer the run, inevitably, the signal can degrade. And my luck will be I will be at a linchpin moment of an interview or streaming an award or something along these lines, and the Wi-Fi will crap out or the cabled Internet will crap out, and it will happen at the most inopportune time. And I might have done nothing but extravagance and success for hours and days on end, but then that will happen. And that's all you'll remember. So I've tried to figure out a way to get me out on the road. This 2018 was the year that that actually happened, and I did three days of live shows, three hours each, by the way, for a total of nine hours of live remote shows from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's IM Barbecue 2018. That took place in Fort Worth, Texas. And this first clip, as we look back at 2018, is with a lady named Linda Orison, a past president of NBBQA, somebody who has been involved with NBBQA quite passionately, I might add, for any number of years. So much so that I believe she wanted to take me to task because I questioned how big or or why isn't the membership base bigger considering how long the, the whole NBBQA had been around. but. Kept it professional, and we did really at that point because she didn't say anything to me about her displeasure with me taking her to task on NBBQA until after the fact. But we had a really great sit-down interview. A lot of look back on where Linda came from and where the shed happened, and this particular clip, which is about six or seven minutes, we go into a little bit of her family, how the shed was started, and we dig a little bit into her personal background and. One of the the second biggest, man, it might even be 1A, 1B as far as revelations. I think 1A is that Mike Mills revealed, you know, Mike Mills, the Barbecue Hall of Famer, 17th Street Barbecue, Peace, uh, Love and Barbecue, all that stuff. That his first business was making falsies, you know, dentures, and that he still has that business today. If you missed that interview, go back into the March shows that I did from NBBQA and listen to it because he spells it right out. It's in operation as we speak, two miles away from 17th Street Barbecue. But the next day, I have Linda Orison in Mama Shed, and she reveals that she was a professional clown. And then I came to learn that I, and if I'm wrong, I apologize, that she's in the Clown Hall of Fame. Great interview. Go back and get the whole thing because it's well worth the listen. But I wanted to highlight some of what I thought were the better moments. Of this interview, Mama Shed Linda Orison, as we look back in 2018. When you were growing up, were you coming from a family that loved to cook, that loved to barbecue, or anything like that, or is that just something that you kind of got into, and or the kids pushed you into, or like how does that generate?
1: Brad wrote me into it.
3: Uh, (laughs) That's how a lot of sentences start, right? Brad roped me into a lot of things, too. (laughs) Yeah, he can do
1: it. Don't even talk to him. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Brad, he graduated from Ole Miss, and and I I like to get about this. He majored in women and mitered in drinking. (laughs) And when he he graduated, the one thing that he did learn up there was how to write a beautiful business plan. And he came home, and he had a, oh, it's about an inch and a half thick business plan. He was going to build a seafood restaurant on our property on the bayou. (laughs) And he went to three banks in town. They really, they really regret their mistake here, but they went to three, he went to three banks and they said, Brad, this is a beautiful business plan, man. He's do you have a job? And Brad said, well, yeah, I'm going to build that restaurant. This is going to be my job. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, do you have good credit line? And he goes, well, let's don't talk about my credit. <laughs> and they sent him home with his tail between his legs the next morning the next morning i thought oh this kid's going to be devastated i mean really devastated he got up he was staying with us of course temporarily and he got up and he came in and he goes mom is it okay with you if i just uh on your property just make a little barbecue roadside takeout place and i said well man that's no problem i said but brad you don't know how to barbecue and he goes that's the least of my worries Really? And the shed is today. No and way. Brad, not only that, but get this one. You would think somebody getting into the barbecue business that really didn't know what they were doing would go out and research and, and find the very best smoker you right, could right. find. No, Brad went into the dumpsters over at one <laughs> of our casinos. I swear this is a true story. I, I don't make this stuff up. And he pulled, he had three. Uh, alto shams that so they had called him and said hey we just threw these or put them beside the dumpsters yeah. to come get them they they still work and he and his dad turned those alto shams <laughs> into smokers Wow! and so that's what they smoked on so he didn't know how to barbecue he didn't know how to smoke meat he had he had a jerry-rigged but smoker and in a way we went and he had a goal of selling 500 dollars worth of barbecue in a week and he sold $500 worth of barbecue the first day.
3: So the shed basically starts on the side of a road with him vending. When did he decide that I want to go from being this vendor kid on the side of the road to really getting a place?
1: Oh, well, it just it it grew organically. <laughs> All right. So it was 360 square feet. And he had talked to his... Little sister into not going back to school for the next semester. She had just entered college, and he he uh, roped her into roped, not going, roped, going back. Right, roped her There's into a lot of roping going. Yeah, back. but you know, see, she's the bean counter. She's the smart one, yep. and Brad just. You know, he'll tell you himself, you can't handle money at all. And uh, he'll put it in an envelope, forget it, to put it in the bank, and it'll be in the, on the floorboard of his car. So he told he told Brooke, he said, look, Brooke, he said, if you won't go to school just this one semester, and and I'm telling you, by that time, you're going to love this shed. Uh, he said, I'll give you 1% of the business. Well, within one year, she owned 59%, and he owns 51%, or 49% and 51%.
3: Does Brooke go back to college? No, never, never,
1: never, wow. never. No, nope. She was, she was making money.
3: <laughs> Linda, when you look back at Brad and Brooke and the accomplishments that they've had, and as we had mentioned before, I mean, it's certainly a family affair when it comes to the restaurant. Are you most proud of when the fire took place and they're like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to rebuild and we're going to do this thing again. Are you most proud of seeing them on television and competing in these television shows and doing very well? Are you most proud of them winning Memphis in May? Like, What are your key moments as you, you look down on, on these two and say, hey, these are the things that really stick out about these two?
1: The key moment for me was when when they got out of the ditch. They only stayed in the ditch after the fire for about two or three hours. And they got up and they put one foot in front of each other. And it took such, those steps were so hard. Just think about it. You're walking away from a building mm-hmm. that you put your heart and soul in and you're walking and the steps are hard to walk down to that by you. I will never be more proud of the kids. I don't care if the kids make money. I want them to be content. I want them to reach a place of contentment. I'm not sure if they're capable of that because they've always got some harebrained idea. Yeah. Television is a, a natural for them. Listen to this one. I used to be a <laughs> professional clown. Way back really? in the day. Yeah, I was now nah,
3: You know, I'm learning two of the most <laughs> unbelievable things. Yesterday Mike Mills told me his first business, which he still has today, was ventures. <laughs> I know. It's like true. in 1962, and it's two miles down the road from the 17th Street Barbecue Restaurant. <laughs> Mama Orson is, or
1: Mama Shed is a professional clown. I was. Wow. I was for 10 years. Now, I wasn't a big old red-nosed, big-footed clown. I was a real pretty little clown. I did magic. I was a little puro, puro. yeah But I would go, and, and I did a lot of schools, and I had a good citizenship message when I when I did it for schools, and I would, uh, sometimes I'd have to pull them out of school for them to go help me do my show so they were kind of raised on a stage and they love cameras and it's a natural thing but that's fun when you talk about somebody that can stand up and face the world and and with all the trials and tribulations that they've had which everybody in the barbecue or not barbecue but the restaurant business goes through that's what i'm the most proud
3: Once again, that was Linda Orson from The Shed, Mama Shed, as you may know her or have come to know and love her. And again, great look back, great passion, and you can hear the emotion in her voice, especially as she talks about Brad and Brooke rebuilding after The Shed catches fire. The story that I still find incredibly interesting, aside from the fact that Mama Shed was a clown, and a very good clown, by the way, and how that makes her kids feel more comfortable being in that spotlight because of having that experience in the past from her, Brad convinced Brooke to not go back to college and stay with him to do this whole shed thing. And it worked. Look where they are now. Incredible story. Thanks to Linda Orson for taking the time this past March in 2018 for sitting down with me at the NBBQA. Love that story. All right, we continue on when we come back, Adrian Miller will give us some highlights of 2018 as well. I want to talk to you quickly about Cook Shack, manufacturers of smoker ovens for barbecue lovers with any amount of experience. Whether you barbecue in the backyard or on the competition circuit or in a five-star dining facility, Cook Shack has the unit that will do the job. And with a full line of barbecue sauces, spices, pellets, and wood chunks, it's the perfect one-stop shop. Cookshack strives to be your barbecue resource center by offering cooking classes, online recipes, how to videos, two blogs, smoking grilling 101s, a video cooking classroom. How about checking out the website, cookshack.com? Or follow them on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, Google. Get advice and share your passion for barbecue on their world class barbecue forum. Now, Cookshack pellet fired smokers are the choice of champions because they were designed by a champion, Ed Fast, Eddie Boren. The FEC 100, PG-1000, always customer favorites. The PG-1000 can double as a smoker and a grill. Low and slow, hot and fast, the Pelle Grill line gives you the most for your money. Cookshack residential electric smokers are the number one smoker in the industry. High quality means high durability and versatility. Anything you can cook in your oven, you can make in a Cookshack. Passion and dedication drives Cookshack's manufacturing with quality always being at the forefront. Get the best in barbecue since 1962. Give them a shout. 800-423-0698. That's 800-423-0698 or visit cookshack.com. And in 2019, Cookshack falls off as a sponsor, but I appreciate the years of support that they have given me. So to Stuart Powell and the gang out there, Ed, uh, Ed Morin as well. Appreciate you sticking by me all these years. They are going to focus a little bit more on the commercial side of the Cookshack line. So we appreciate you supporting the show over the last many years, as I said. Again, Cookshack.com is the place to go to check them out. Great pellet-fired smokers and the number one electric smokers in the industry. All right, we come back with more looking back at 2018 right here on the Barbecue Central Show. Stick around.
0: Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey.
3: Pressing forward on 2018 as we take a look back this portion of the show, being brought to you by CookingPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets. For any pellet-driven cooker, don't fall for the old, it's got to be our pellets or the warranty is not covered or it's not going to work. Don't fall for that. All pellet cookers eat cookandpellet.com pellets. So here's what you can do. You visit the website cookandpellets.com or if you want to purchase from amazon.com, you can do that as well. All right, coming up next as we look back, first timer to the show a little bit earlier in the year, especially right around that Hall of Fame time, we got to know and meet somebody named Adrian Miller. Adrian, a very accomplished professional, worked in the White House, book writer, James Beard Award winner, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, or at least nominated, but I believe a James Beard Award winner as well. And we talked specifically in his first go around about not only his background and not only what soul food is, and we will hear a little bit of a recap on that here in just a few minutes, but we went fairly in depth on a guy that he had nominated, Columbus Hill. I'd never heard of Columbus Hill, didn't know anything about him. And it was important to bring Adrian on as a historian of soul food and barbecue to let us know why he thought it was important that Columbus Hill be put on the docket. Columbus did make it into the final nine, but didn't end up getting to be one of those three that were ushered into the class of 2018. That, by the way, was Tuffy Stone, Tootsie Tominance, and Charlie Virgos. But in this clip, which is about 15 minutes, You'll get a lot of background on maybe why you might see Columbus Hill in, in years to come. So without any further ado, my first time chat with somebody who I hope to have on quite a bit more in 2019. It is the sole food cook, Adrian Miller. All right, Adrian. So I had contacted you specifically um, about an article Actually, it was a pair of articles that you had written about Columbus Hill a number of years ago, actually. And uh, the impetus, of course, was the fact that I had somehow gotten my hands, no names please, on the 2018 nominees for the Barbecue Hall of Fame this year. Those three have been awarded Tuffy Stone, Tootsie Tomadins, Charlie Virgos. So those are confirmed now. It was the day after my show last Tuesday. But Columbus Hill was a name that I really hadn't seen. There were a few of those names on that list that I was familiar with just in a cursory sense. So I wanted to spend some time in this segment talking about Columbus Hill and what you found out about him. But before we get into that, could we get a little background on you professionally and uh, maybe if you're a guy that's into that barbecue and grilling scene as well?
2: Yeah, so I have a sordid background. Uh, I actually am a lawyer by training, and then I went into politics. I worked in the Clinton White House on something called the initiative for one america it was an outgrowth of clinton's uh, initiative on race and the whole idea was if people just got together and talked, we might realize we have a lot more in common than what supposedly divides us uh... then i moved back to colorado um, and was in politics for another decade or so and then i got this crazy idea to write a book on the history of soul food which i did and to research that i needed to eat my way through the country. So I went to 150 soul food restaurants in 35 cities and 15 states. Wow. Uh, and that book came out in 2013, and I was lucky enough to win the James Beard Award for that book. Um, and then I, uh, my current job is with the Colorado Council of Churches, which is bringing churches together to do social justice work. And last year, I wrote my second book on African American presidential chefs, and my next book is going to be on African American barbecue culture. And along the way, I became a certified barbecue judge with the Kansas City Barbecue Society.
3: So, so that is a sordid background and, and a very accomplished background. Let me ask you a question that we could probably veer off and never get back on track by asking this question. But, you know, when I travel the mean streets of downtown Cleveland, few places hang the moniker soul food above the restaurant. Right. So right. How, do, how does one classify Soul food, do you just get totally stereotypical and say it's ribs and chicken uh, or is there or in greens or is there a, a more of a rooted diversity in soul food or something specific that makes it soul food?
2: Yeah, so soul food has a lot of overlap with Southern food, which I think is what creates a confusion. But um, I think soul food is a more intense version of Southern food. so it's gonna be spicier, have more fat, more flavor. Um, And uh, usually features more the variety meats and kind of more poverty uh, image ingredients, although soul food is much more complex than that. But that's the image people have. And I argue that soul food is really the celebration of the food that black migrants took to other parts of the country. Um, and when you think of immigrant food in other cultures, it's usually their celebration food. So the ribs, the fried chicken, the glorious cakes and cobbler—you know—that wasn't everyday food. That was once in a while food. And so soul food is really a hybrid of everyday and and once in a while food. And but the difference between southern and soul for me is that soul food tastes better.
3: Personal <laughs> preference, or are we making a declarative <laughs> statement?
2: I'm making a personal preference. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to get in too much trouble.
3: Is there a portion of the country? I'm guessing southern more than northern, but. Would you say that real soul food is down in the south area or not necessarily?
2: Yeah, well, it gets tricky because in the south, they don't really call it soul food. It's usually called southern food or country cooking or home cooking. But to me, the ancestral homeland of soul food is really kind of the interior south, the Mississippi Delta area before you really get deep into uh, New Orleans, uh, to Louisiana, because I think Creole is something different. But kind of Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, that food that gets taken to other parts of the country. So, really, the food that you see in urban cities uh, all around the country uh, where black people uh, you know, settled and congregate and and started to flourish,
3: let's talk a little bit about Columbus Hill and the two pieces that I read from you. One was the wildest barbecue that this country has ever seen. <laughs> and you know, within that piece, you describe this uh, big event that was I mean, twenty thousand people were initially anticipated. 50,000 people show up, so that's a difference of 30,000 to the plus that you're probably not expecting. The liquor starts flowing first. But (laughs) the menu, bear, elk, items that you just don't hear about being barbecued, Uh, possums by the truckload. I mean, just the (laughs) items that you don't necessarily hear about being barbecued anymore. Um, right. Kind of recap us a little bit. I mean, I kind of glossed over at high level there, but recap us a yeah. little bit on that event and what you know or what you can tell us about Columbus Hill, the man and the pitmaster.
2: Yeah. So let me just give a little intro to Columbus Hill himself. Yeah. So uh, he shows up in Colorado around the eight, late 1870s. And as uh, you you find a few articles about him in the local papers. But then his biggest event was in the early 1890s, uh, July 4th weekend, 1891, when the cornerstone was laid for our state capitol building. He actually uh, does the barbecue for that, and 20,000 people show up for that. Um, And so steadily through the 1890s, he builds up this reputation. So by the time you get to the 1898, we have something called the Stock Show here in Denver that's very famous if you grow up as a little kid here, you have to go there as, as a field trip, and it's a big deal. And uh, in eight in the late 1890s, it wasn't certain that Denver was going to keep the stock show. So the Stock Growers Association, which is the you know the really moneyed people in the business, decided to have a VIP barbecue. And so they brought in 10 1,000-pound steers. Uh, I wrote this down. Uh, two bears, <laughs> 400 pounds each. <laughs> two buffaloes. Four elk. Seven antelope, seven mountain sheep, and 200 possum. Wow. Yeah. They wanted it to be the barbecue to end all barbecues. So the, he, Columbus Hill's in charge of this. Everything's going fine. But word gets out into the seedy part of town, which is Lodo, lower downtown Denver. And so all of these people who aren't VIPs show up for this barbecue. And they smell that good cooking. And eventually, there's bum rush, the, the cooks. And you have the governor – of colorado and the mayor of denver getting on a platform trying to chill everybody out and somebody decided hey maybe if we just give out some free beer that will chill them out i that always work. works <laughs> <laughs> and so you gotta basically you have a food riot so people throw food basically the governor and the mayor had to get off the platform because they were getting pelted with food and an all out uh, brawl just breaks out and uh, this this was in the newspapers for several days in fact columbus Bee hill's reputation took a serious hit because of just what happened. I don't think any of it's his fault, but he kind of took the blame for it. Um, but yeah.
3: Do you have any idea of what this cook site looked like or, or any type of topography of how this thing was laid out? I mean, to cook the amount of food that you just laid out, sheer protein is absolutely mind-blowing.
2: Well, so here's the thing. This is why I kind of gravitated to Columbus B Hill, because the newspapers of the day, the Denver Post, the Rocky Mountain News and some other newspapers in Denver, covered the event extensively, and they actually drew out maps of the cooking area. And so Columbus Hill's uh, method was to do the old southern trench kind of type of cooking. So there was several long trenches with bars across the top, and Mm -hmm. you you just made sure that the meat was, uh, you know, turned every once in a while so it didn't get burned up. But yeah, and there are pictures of it, actually. Um, while the cooking's going on. So it's a rare find. Because usually these things are described in maybe a paragraph or two and not in any detail. So that's why I love this story in this event.
3: So, as he is taking this hit, as you say, how is he able to recover going forward? Or does he ever fully recover from something like this?
2: Uh, so, from what I can tell, he really never does a big barbecue for the general population. He kind of uh, goes into the African-American culture, so almost all of the references in newspapers after that point are him really cooking for African-American audiences. In fact, my home church, Campbell Chapel African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, is profiled in a newspaper in 1906 for a barbecue that uh, Columbus does, and uh, it was was a nice write-up, but he never really overcomes that in general society.
3: So he's obviously a very accomplished pit master holding something that he's kind of charged with that has nothing to do with him. He's doing his job, and the people decide to let the other people get drunk, and rowdiness ensues, Tom Fuller and shenanigans.
2: Right, exactly.
3: What kind of a history does Columbus have coming up? He Obviously, did he live in Colorado initially? Did he move there and uh, hone his cooking skills there? What kind of an upbringing did he have?
2: Yeah, so that's where it gets tricky, because there's not a lot of documentation of his early life. And one of my quests as I write my book is to really do some more archival research and find that out. All we know is that he uh, comes from Missouri, uh, and then he does a lot of barbecues all over kind of the Middle West. So he's doing barbecues in Missouri. Um, Evidently, he does quite a few barbecues in Texas. By the time he gets to the stock show, the people writing about him say that he's done more barbecues than anybody in the union. I don't know if that's true because there's a lot of hyperbole in those days, right? Um, So, yeah, we just don't know. We know that he's married. Um, He he and his wife live in Denver from the uh, 1880s on, and he he ends up dying in the early 1920s. So other than that, we just don't really have a lot of detail about him. But – These three big barbecues that he does in the 1890s are extensively covered, Hmm. so we get illustrations of him in action with a fleet of cooks around him. I mean, for this uh, stock show barbecue, I think he had 300 people helping him.
3: Can you imagine if that was covered in today's environment with social media and Facebook Live and the Barbecue Central show flying out to Colorado to cover it? He he would be like the most (laughs) prolific pitmaster ever.
2: Oh uh, yeah, and then after things go south, man, he would be feeling like a lot of like James Harden or all these all these athletes today, right? So yeah.
3: Um, from a barbecue hall of fame perspective, he was on the list. Did you happen to be the guy that voted, that voted for him?
2: Yes, I was, and and what I was trying to do is, I think the hall of fame needs more diversity. I think there's only one African American. Uh, there, who is Henry Perry, who deserves to be there because he's really recognized as the father of Kansas City barbecue. But um, I wanted to nominate Hill in the legacy category because uh, as I do more and more research, you look at the papers in the late 1800s, really from 1870s to the 1890s, you find all of these African-American men who are highly celebrated in the press and are known as barbecue experts. And when anybody wants to do a next level barbecue, they're going to these guys. So I thought because we had so much information about Hill and these other guys usually are just like a line or two in, a, you know, in an entire article, I just thought, well, he, this guy's documented. Maybe he can kind of be representative for this class of cooks who just aren't celebrated.
3: At that time, is there a lot of documentation to be able to go back and pull names from? You know, one of the bigger, we're going to talk about the Barbecue Hall of Fame now and why I have numerous issues. <laughs> but I thought, you know, when, when the when uh, the American Royal bought it from whatever weird online presence was existing before that, that they should have had a huge base of inductees, hundreds uh-huh. and hundreds. So you build this great base, and then you could start going in and inducting three or maybe five people over the course of the year. So Columbus Hill could have been putting in there, you know, and any number of people just had one big birth of this brand new edition of the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Do you have thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think they're, uh, it's going to take some research to identify these folks, because uh, one of my critiques of the hall, Barbecue Hall of Fame is it's not clear to me what it is celebrating, what aspects of barbecue culture. The way it's played out, it seems to be a competitive barbecue hall of fame for the most part. I think if they were a little more transparent about their criteria and what they were celebrating, it would help. But to go to your early question, yeah, these uh, once you dig into the old newspapers, these names pop up. Now, again, there's not a lot written about these men. And they're pretty much have all been men to this point that I've found. Um, I think it's going to take some research to go to census data, find out if he had a business, where he lived. You know, that's going to take some time. But the names are there. I mean, I found at least 10 people um, written about in several articles uh, in the late 1800s. So they're there. They just need to be discovered and celebrated.
3: I shared with you the list of nominees as well. Aside from Columbus Hill, obviously, you have the connection there. Were there another – two people on that list that you thought should get in or that you would go to?
2: Yeah. From what you shared with me, I thought Matt Garner should have been um, selected. Um, And I can't remember if he actually, I know somebody nominated him, but he's recognized as the guy who jumpstarts the barbecue scene in Houston. So much like Henry Perry gets credit for Kansas city, Matt Garner was really the one to get things going in, um, in Houston. The other guys um, and the other woman, Helen Turner, um, who I remember great barbecue artists i guess my sentiment is i don't know if they were ready for the hall of fame because to me they've had mvp seasons but i for to me a hall of fame is a body of work over a long period of time um but they're you know rodney scott who just won the james beard award as best chef in the southeast Mm -hmm. um certainly great barbecue guy um you know is he hall of fame yet i'm not so sure helen turner who's been doing her thing in uh west texas or i'm sorry west tennessee for a long time, very accomplished barbecuer. Um, you know, is is she on the same level as uh, Tootsie, I guess it is that her name. Yeah. The woman, uh, yeah. Um, I'm not so sure, but you know, very fine people, very good at what they do. But to me, there should be some kind of just threshold for, for Hall of Fame. Um, you know, to be inducted there.
3: Adrian Miller joining me here on the show. So let's talk about that just for a second, because that's also been one of my bigger sticking points. Is there doesn't seem to be any transparent way to gauge how you get in. You're nominating Columbus Hill. For the last four years, I've been making a run at getting me on that nomination list (laughs) to prove that soliciting names from people is probably a bad idea because I could wind up on that stage at some point making a ludicrous speech, probably calling out Guy Fieri and saying, this is why the barbecue hall of fame is in danger because he's in and a guy like Columbus Hill isn't, but that's neither here nor there. So if you were, if they were approached and they said, Hey, Adrian, help us suss out some type of grading criteria or, you know, in sports there's definitive ways that you need things you need to hit first before you can be considered. How would you like to see that happen with the barbecue hall of fame?
2: Right. Well, so going with their existing, um, categories for right now. So for legacy, I would say you have to have maybe, you know, be in the barbecue game for at least 20 years. Um, doing your thing. Like maybe set a time, um, requirement there for restaurants. Um, I think also a time factor would help, uh, and then also uh, mainly with the competitive stuff, I think you have to have a certain number of contests in order to make it in. Um, you know, I, I have my own mixed feelings about competitive barbecue. I, I don't know if it's a representative slice, but it's, it's, it's a whole thing now. Um, but that's a great question, man. I guess I haven't really given it deep thought, um, but I've thought more about the legacies because that's where most of the people that I want to see celebrated, um, that's probably where they would fit in given the current categories. Um. So I think there needs to be at least a certain amount of time. And that goes to my idea that you have to have a body of work in order to be inducted. So the, or I, least
3: the IBCA, or the International Barbecue Cookers Association, unveiled their own Hall of Fame maybe a little over a year ago. Oh. Does, does that kind of uh, there's a, a dilute the talent pool or make it weird for the other Hall of Fame? Or can you have multiple barbecues, Halls of Fames?
2: Yeah, I think it would be great if we had one. Um, I think that would be cleaner and a lot easier, but uh, I'll have to look at the uh, IBCA. Is that what you said? Yeah. I'll have to look at what their list is. If they're more diverse, then I'm I'm all for it because I just think that there's a lot of great people doing barbecue, and I don't think we should celebrate just a narrow slice.
3: Ah, yes, bringing the heat. Adrian Miller talking on a number of topics. Barbecue Hall of Fame, who Columbus Hill was. Soul food. Delicious. He's in the middle of writing a new book. He was on at the close of 2018. Did I mention the 2019 rapidly coming to a close? Did I, did I do that? Thank you. All right, when we come back, oh, where are we on time? Yeah, we'll probably get into a little ranting by me. We might get into a little hot dog talk. All the good stuff. Let me quickly tell you about, where's my read at? BigPapaSmokers.com, that's right. The number one online shop for all things barbecue. Have you tried Big Papa Smokers rubs yet? What are you waiting for? Come on. Known for the championship rubs and seasonings, popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, all proven winners on the competition circuit. And in the backyard, Big Papa Smokers offers 13 perfectly balanced flavors that will transform ordinary meals into extraordinary. Whether you're cooking to impress the judges or grilling for your family, Big Papa Smokers award-winning rubs and seasonings just don't disappoint. Pick up a bottle today at BigPapaSmokers.com. If you want to try out some sauce, of course you know they own Granny's barbecue Sauce, but You can find Granny's and other top-rated barbecue sauces at BigPapaSmokers.com. And aside from the premium selection of rubs and sauces, Big Papa Smokers offers the very best pellet, charcoal, and wood cookers available today. Now you might be asking yourself, Rempy, what are you talking about? How about this? Looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use? Might be a little expensive, but it's the best of the best currently on the market. Check out that Mac 2 Star General Pellet Grill. Big Papa Smokers is the exclusive Mac dealer, and they even offer special packages. If you're not a fan of the pellet smoker, I get it. Take a look at the Old Hickory Ace BP. It's the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on its competition trailer. And if you're a backyard barbecue enthusiast like me or neighbor Desmond or Detective Corey, the list goes on. How about taking a look at a durable and versatile grill that will last forever? Something that's called the M Grill. It's from Texas. It's probably just what you need. They're built like tanks. Not sure what kind of grill you need? Well, you really can't go wrong with any type of grill or smoker featured on BigPapaSmokers.com. They have something for every kind of backyard cook. Check out their website today. Again, that's BigPapaSmokers.com. If you have any questions, give them a call, 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website. Again, BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A. Smokers.com. We are back with a few more 2018 moments before we hit the top of the hour. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around, I'll be right back.
0: big name interviews advice on cooking brisket and ribs and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue it's the barbecue central show we
3: continue to roll forth here as we look back on 2018 Linda Orison is in. Adrian Miller is in. number of other things to get to here, so just hold on to your horses. We might run a little bit over tonight. It'll be well worth it, trust me. Or you can get it on podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe to the show via podcast on any podcast platform to include iTunes and Google platforms. Stitcher carries it. Podcast apps carry it. Rate and review me as you listen to your podcast as well. That helps other people find the show. I'm always happy to get your feedback, if you will. Uh, Earlier in the year, February, February saw a lot of great things happen with this show. I had what many consider to be a very powerful parental rant. Not only do I want to sound like I'm 80 years old and say their faces are in their phones because, I mean, if you're... 35 and above well i guess i should say if you're 45 and below it's probably a safe bet that your face is in your phone the majority of the time it's just the way technology is you're not making any adjustments to get your face out of your phone i'm not going to yell at you for that but for the youth i had a special mention and a special word of advice on what they might want to consider going forward as far as this documentation is concerned that they're always doing. You might actually hear a call-in from my parents as well. So corral your kids and make sure they take heed to this specific warning. I like to listen to other barbecue podcasts. Not only am I able to kind of uh, see where I stack up because I hold a very high standard for myself. So while some people hate to listen to themselves, I do too, I guess. But I will listen back to the show tomorrow just to hear my English, my diction, my vernacular, to make sure that my command of the English language continues to grow by leaps and bounds and that I do not make that mistake of trying to fill dead space with ums and ahs. That's why from time to time you might hear me pause, and it might be a second or two, but I would rather do that and find the correct word. It's something that I try and teach my kids. Now, kids rarely talk these days because they're very adept at thumbing out whatever the latest thought is in their head out to the internet where it stays forever. That's a whole other issue. Stover, you're not even married yet, so you have the whole other kid hurdle to worry about. But here's the one thing that I want to impress upon everybody that is just going to have kids or maybe your kids are infants and they're not in the technology game. Just remember, I mean, technology's not going anywhere, right? We're going to be bound by technology going forward. It's only going to proliferate more and more. I'm going to sound like I'm 75 years. <laughs> if you watch these kids these days, you know, as a matter of fact,
4: if you watch these kids. Anymore. What are they doing running around with their faces in their phone and they can't talk a lick? Who are you talking to? I'm talking to Greg about the youth of America and how they can... Who? I said, Greg, that's who I'm talking to. Look at here. They walk around with their noses in their phone. Your father and I were walking in the mall the other day. That's how we get our exercise. It's too hot outside. I can't, I can't walk outside. I don't want to sweat. After I eat my peanut butter toast and my yogurt, I don't want to go outside in 90-degree weather. It's too hot for me. I can't do it. That's right. So we go to the mall where it's air-conditioned and walk around, and when the mall opens, here come these kids. Well, their faces are in their phones, and they almost run right into me as I'm making laps. And they're documenting everything. Isn't that right? That's right. Everything they're doing is going up to the worldwide internets. Snapchat, the YouTubes, Google+. Plus. I think that's got real legs, that Google+. Plus. It's going to be a big thing. I don't think it's going to be a big thing. This Facebook is what's going on. Never mind that Facebook. I don't like the Facebooks. Anyway, here's what I'm telling you. Tell those kids, stop taking videos of themselves. They're only going to get in trouble because it doesn't go away. Tell your kids to stop doing it. That's right. She's right. So put that in your pipe and smoke it.
3: All right. Well, now we have the whole idea of what not to do with you stover i hope that helps you trying to give you an idea when you do have kids well i guess you got to get married. well as a matter of fact you don't have to get married first to have kids that's what we've learned these days
0: you don't
3: have to do that stop document tell these kids don't document leave yourself plausible deniability with the amount of documentation that goes on these days with all the youth Uploading it here and uploading it there. You can't ever deny anything because it's all right there. You know what I'm saying? I didn't do that. Well, according to this screenshot I just took, you can't text anybody. My middle daughter just got involved in a, a hubbity bub bub a couple days ago because she was trading text messages. And the kids said, I'm just going to screenshot it. You got no plausible deniability anymore. It's okay to not share everything, especially if it might be shady. Don't share that. You can talk on the phone and always say you never said it. How about that? Indeed, how about that? Do you have kids that are constantly documenting? Well, if I couldn't get through to them and my parents couldn't get through to them, you're going to have to do a better job as a parent to get your face out of the phone and get their faces out of the phone. But if you can't get the faces out of the phone, tell them to stop throwing everything up on the internet. I mean, don't we know by now? That even if it goes to the internet and you think that it evaporates in 24 hours, it really doesn't. It's there. There forever. There forever. That's a mighty long time. All right, how we doing so far? 2018. A look back on some of the better segments that happened again. No disrespect to anybody who isn't going to hear themselves tonight. That includes my embedded correspondence, although you will hear some of them, of course. Or any other guests that I had, recurring, -recurring, semi-recurring, one-timers, anything like that. It's what the Inner Sanctum thought were some of the better moments. So we started to put some together here to wish you a happy new year of 2019. But take a look back at some of what we felt was the best of 2018. If you're not listening to this live, never fear first hour will be released on Wednesday, and the second hour will be released on Thursday. Great stuff there, as normal. But hope you're enjoying this 2018 look back. I used to do year-in-review shows like three or four years in a row, but it's very fast-paced. It's hard to get through everything, so as we started to think about a reality of a look back here... For 2018 it was better to go through and pick some people's brains about what they thought the better moments were and then take those long segments and make them into a little bit more digestible segments some get a little bit more time than others because you need that content other ones as you will hear as we move into the second hour don't need that much time because they're pretty much right in your face all right let's point to the second hour I'm Greg Rempe. We are looking back at 2018, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Stick around. We'll be right back.